0: Lord, I confess it's easy to have my own agenda, my own plan, and I don't uh, want to hear from you. I don't want to do something you're calling me to, Lord, or reach out to this person over here or there, Lord. Forgive me, or give me your heart. Give us as a church your heart to care, to be concerned, to see others, to encourage one another, to reach out, Lord. And sometimes it's easy to be discouraged, to be downtrodden, to have a lot of struggles, Lord. Help us just to receive your mercy, to receive your love, not to listen to lies, not to believe the voice of the evil one who would discourage and cast doubt, but to listen to the voice of you who says you love us and you want us, you've adopted us, you've made us your own, that you died for the joy set before you to bring us to you. We thank you for that. Lord, give us hearts that are full of your love, your compassion for our families, for our friends, for our church fellow church members. Lord, give us a heart for one another. Give us a heart for those you put in our path this very week. And we thank you, Lord. We're thankful as we anticipate a week of Thanksgiving. We're thankful that you love us. We're thankful that you're patient with us for your grace Thank you that you're working in our lives. Thank you for drawing us here even this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, right. we're in a study of 1 Corinthians. We've been going through this letter here, and uh, the theme has been getting right and getting going. Paul has been addressing this church to get right, to get going. And uh, our intro thought today is that something is even a greater thing than I thought, I don't know if you've ever been doing a thing and you thought it was actually a great thing and then an even greater thing happened while you're doing the great thing. makes sense? No. So um, this happened this week where I was doing something I thought was great and an even greater thing occurred. And it happened because a few weeks ago I reached out to a pastor that's a retired pastor in our community and I was talking to him and calling him saying, hey this summer would you be interested in being on our... Uh, preaching for me this summer, and he said, mm, uh, no, I'm not going to do that. I was like, okay, that's fair enough. you retired. <laughs> but um, but he said, but hey, I do want you to know that there's several pastor prayer Zoom groups that have started, and so we're weekly praying, maybe six, eight, ten pastors get on a Thursday morning prayer Zoom call, and you could be in on that. Oh, well, that sounds great. And I think it's grown out of for years now, we've had pastor prayer days, county-wide pastor prayer days, three times a year. They happen at the FERS, uh, some local business person or persons pays for them and for our lunch. They never tell us who it is. They just say, some people want you to be taken care of today. So they cover it. It's really neat. And the pastors, usually we have about 60 or 70 pastors from the county, come and pray together and it's really a wonderful event and they always start with nobody cares how big your church is nobody's here to sign you up for anything a lot of times that's what happens you're come to this thing to pray but really we're trying to sign you up for something and as they say no signing up nothing will be pitched we're just here to pray and i think out of that movement these weekly Pastor prayer meetings have started where pastors are praying, not in competition, not trying to outdo one another, just saying we care about this community, there's one church in Whatcom County, it's Jesus's church, and we want to be a part of it. So I finally was able to get on to it this week. Uh, this, they told me a few weeks ago, but this was the first week I was able to join in, and there was, I think, five other guys on the call this week. So we're praying, and they said we're going to pray first up, so we prayed some Praises to God. Then we're going to pray inward, and we prayed things happening in our own heart. And then we were going to pray outward for our community. So I thought this was great. I'm praying. I'm enjoying it. I, it's encouraging to be with other pastors in our community that were just together in ministry. And then, but in the middle of it, one of the pastors said, "Hey, I just got to stop this." His name's Mitch. He's a great guy, and he said, "I need to know about you, Ron." Ron was another pastor in the call how are you doing? What's happening in your life? And, and I think that was a disruption from the normal flow, though I don't really know because it's my first call. But, and Ron said, yeah, I'm having this health issue over here, and then I'm really trying to help this young guy over here. But I thought it was so cool that this one pastor just stopped and said, I need to know how you're doing. I don't know if he was prompted by the Lord to ask that or what, but it was, there was a great thing happening. We were praying for our community, and I thought it was a greater thing that happened when he said, how are you doing? And the pastor shared he's having some fatigue issues, and he was struggling, so we could pray for him right on, in that moment, his specific need. So it was a great thing, and then an even greater thing was happening when, we, when he asked, how can we pray for you? And I don't know why he did that, but it was awesome. And that's what's happening in our passage today in first Corinthians we're going to be focused on chapter 13 we'll pick up the end of 12 but it was this idea this church was really excited about spiritual gifts among them they're excited about these gifts these manifestations of the spirit for the common good and they wanted them and they were longing for them and Paul says those are great things spiritual gifts are great things those being exercised in the body are great things But while a great thing is happening, he says there's an even greater thing. So just like I was in the middle of a prayer call, which I thought was great, there was a greater thing. In this church, he's saying there's spiritual gifts, and those are great. They're from the Holy Spirit. They're important. But there's an actual greater thing that's happening and should be happening, and we're going to see that greatest thing is love. So here's our point for today. Love is the most excellent way of all. Love is, it's that greater thing that should be happening even in the midst of great things like spiritual gifts being exercised. Love is the most excellent way of all. That's going to be our main point. So first I want to read the whole passage. I want to give room for God's word to speak and then we'll, we'll walk through it. So I left off chapter 12 verse 27 through chapter 13. Some of you are going to recognize chapter 13, especially some of you go, oh, I had that in my wedding. But a lot of times we pull chapter 13 out of its context, but we're going to see it in its context today. So let's start chapter 12, verse 27, we'll go through the end of 13. It says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, Then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. So now faith, hope and love abide these three but the greatest of these is love. So let's jump in here the first I just I don't want to spend a lot of time at the end of chapter 12 because we spent all last week on it but it just kind of closes up that conversation and pushes us into chapter 13 so it gives us the actual context of chapter 13. But what we saw last week was this h- a long conversation about the gifts being from God and that people are from God, and there's an intentional diversity both in the gifting and the people that God puts in the church. It's on purpose. He wants there to be a diverse body of people who are one in Christ. And so that's the context. And what we, we saw last week is that for some reason this church only wanted one or two of the gifts. They all wanted the tongues or they all wanted prophesying. They, they wanted these very visible, public, maybe you'd even say showy gifts. And Paul's saying, no, we need all the gifts and we need all the people and they all have value. And that's kind of where we start here, in verse 27. You are the body of Christ, one, and individual members of it. All of us, all of the parts, all of our gifts, all of our uniqueness. Verse 28 And then it talks about, and God, here we see the gifts more manifested in people. So these are gifts kind of tied to people. And he says, and God is appointed in the church first. He's going to give an order here. Notice this order. First, apostles. Second, prophets. We would think of an apostle. Apostle means to be sent. So I don't know that you have to think of big A apostle, Paul, Peter, John. That's capital A, people who were with Jesus and have seen the Lord. To be a little a apostle, lowercase a, is someone who is sent to start new works for Jesus. They're sent to a new community, a new apartment complex, a new city, a new country. That's apostles. Some people have the gift to go to a new place and start new works for Jesus. So that's apostles. So he says, the first, there's apostles. There's prophets, people who have spirit-inspired speech. Third, teachers then miracles gifts of healing helping ministrating in various kinds of tongues and so again he's pointing out they all wanted the one we want the tongues we want the prophecy we want the visible stuff and paul's saying we need all of it right we need all the gifts are all apostles no not everybody if everybody was sent there's no one here right well we all went and planted a new church somewhere else well i'd just be talking to myself which I do more than you think, Um, are all apostles, are all prophets, not everyone's going to speak, are all teachers, do all work miracles, you get the idea. We need all of them. And so, again, we spent more time on that last week, we're going to pick more of that up in chapter 14. But his point was, (laughs) earnestly desire the higher gifts. They were wanting the show gift, the tongue, or the healing. He said, desire the higher gifts. He said, if you want to long for a gift, long, he listed first apostles, long to be people who are sent to start a new work, a new ministry, a new church, a new believer. Long to be a prophet, a person who can speak to people and explain things and have inspired speech. Long to be a teacher. He kind of says, put that in order first. That's more important because it moves people in Christ and they speak in a language you understand. We're going to get more into that next time, so don't, I don't want to stop there. But he said, desire the higher gifts, but I'm going to show you something better than those. I'm going to show you something. It's this idea it says, still more excellent, that it's beyond excellent. It's past excellent. It's like you can long for gifting, you can want God, to the Spirit to manifest in yourself, in your life for the benefit of the church, but I'm going to show you something that's better than that. And that's where I got this statement today that love is the most excellent way of all. It's beyond excellent. It's past excellent. You couldn't do anything greater or better to serve God and to serve his church than love. So again, I said we've. a lot of times we get to this love chapter in chapter 13 or specifically verses four to eight and we think love, this is what love is and we'll read it at a wedding. But what the context is, is that love is rooted in this discussion about gifting in the church. So on either side, chapter 12 and chapter 14, Paul's addressing how gifts work and how they should function in the church. And so in the middle, he's sandwiching this conversation that spiritual gifts and people serving in the church, it must be rooted in, filled in, completely saturated in love, or else it doesn't work. And that's that. the love is how the church functions. The love is how you exercise your gift. The love is how we live it out. And it's the greatest thing possible we could do is love and, and use your gift in love. So that's what we're going to see. Love is the most excellent way of all. So we got three nice little sections. The first section is the necessity of love. The necessity of love, if you're an outline person, here they are. The necessity of love is verses 1 to 3. The nature of love is verses 4 to 7. The nature of love. And the never-ending love is verse 8 through 12. I know that last one I kind of had to make it up, but it's cool pastor stuff to get three ends. So anyways, the necessity of love, the nature of love, the never-ending love. Let's talk about the necessity of love, verse 13. The necessity of love, 13, 1. All Right. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, he goes right to that because that's what they were really hyper-focused on. We want the tongues, we want the tongues. Whether it's a human language, a heavenly language, he says that none of it matters. Right. If if I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Right? It doesn't matter if you're just speaking but you don't love the people you're speaking to it's just gong i remember in elementary music our teacher had a gong i don't know why (laughs) because we all wanted to get to it and play it you know she'd hide the mallet bong bong it's a horrid sound like as i've aged sounds become more sensitive you know does that happen to you i was like i don't want to hear that repetitive sound turn that off I just think of that. I could preach and explain everything in the Bible. I can make it make sense. You think, like, wow, it's the best point I ever heard. But if I don't actually care about you, it doesn't matter. This is the challenge. This is this is a challenge for a pastor to say. It's easy to want to be the hero. Wow, that was amazing. You did a good job, pastor. Wow, I didn't understand that point. You did a good job. You, that was amazing. And that becomes about me being the hero. But if I love you, the church body, and say I want you to know the best way possible what God's word says and what it means in our context today, then I'm loving you. If I'm at the end hoping that I'm the hero and I get the attention and I get the accolades, then it's not about loving you. And it's just a bunch of noise. It's just a bunch of sound. And so that's what he's saying. You guys can, he says, you can desire tongues. You can do these amazing things. You could go and the God could give you a language to speak to someone in some other country. And you don't even know how it happened. But if you don't love them, it just doesn't matter. Have you, I don't, have you ever talked to that where someone's con- trying to convince you of something, but you know they don't care about you? You're just, I'm not gonna listen to you. But if you know someone deeply loves you, you okay, I'm gonna hear what you have to say. Even if you'd end up disagreeing, you'll at least listen to them. So that's what he's saying. If you don't, you must have love. Or it doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth. If you don't love the person you're communicating with, none of it matters. Second one there. So I have, and again, he's going to these gifts that they're longing for. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, I could just open the book of Revelation and go, oh, this, 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 this. Right, if you could just do that, you understood the mysteries. If you had faith to move mountains, Everything you prayed happened, and you prayed, and people got healed, and you prayed, and this thing got solved, and you prayed, and you could have all of that, the prophecy, the mysteries, the powers of faith. If you don't love the person, it's nothing. And that's what he's getting at. They really want those gifts. They really want that showy thing. like, yeah, but you're doing it for yourself. If you don't love the person you're praying for, it doesn't matter. It's nothing. That's strong language, isn't it? The third one, if I give away all I have, so this is just being completely generous. I give, even deliver up my body to be burned. I just give away my whole life, give up everything I have. If I give it away, if I dole, it's really to dole out all my possessions for you, but I don't love you, I gain nothing. You can be amazingly generous and not really care about the other person. So Paul, he's, he's belaboring this point that love is necessary, that these gifts, these powers, the spirit working in you, if you don't love the body, if you don't love the person, none of it matters. None of it matters. That's a strong statement. I've, um, I've been listening to this podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Mars Hill was a huge church movement that began in Seattle and expanded. I don't know if they got up to 20,000 members, churches all over. And I normally wouldn't really like a podcast about what happened to this church, but it all blew up in 2014. I normally don't like to listen and hear about churches falling apart because it's horrible and it's painful and it's sad. But this was such a huge movement in our region. I mean, I had some of the books, I, I attended a service once or twice just to see what it was like, I watched conferences online. They were making. Just, they were doing amazing things, and they were reaching Seattle, one of the darkest cities in our country. So it was fascinating, the growth they were having, and then it just collapsed in horrible flames, burned down. We had some friends that were part of it and just said it was a horrible ending, and most of the church campuses closed, and many people were de-churched, which means I just don't ever want to go back. They were, their faith was sour. They lost all faith in the church. So I've been listening to this thing, just going, what happened? What can we learn? And that's really the heart of the podcast. It's put on by Christianity Today to go, what happened there? What can we learn? They're not just kicking somebody who's down. But one of the things that started to get revealed is that it shifted from the early days, when there was a lot of love and a lot of care, especially from the pastor, to it became suddenly when it switched, especially when media got involved and it became about TV and getting bigger, that it lost love. And in the end, the things that really brought the pastor down, Driscoll, and that they found out he was domineering and angry and firing and yelling at staff. And there was this culture of anger and hostility. And what they highlight in the podcast is that there was a constant dialogue of, we've had more baptisms than we've ever had. We've reached more people than we've ever reached. We've planted more campuses in every year. And it was this idea, as long as we're still baptizing people... We don't have to worry about this growing mess over here. And eventually it caught up and it, and it went down in horrible, ugly flames and it's left, you know, there's a burn hole from it. And it was just this, it's this passage. He didn't love. I think he did initially, but then he stopped and it became about my name and my success and bigger and better and he lost love. Love. And when there was not love, it turned rough and harsh and angry and people got hurt and the church burned down. And I think, I don't mean actual flames, I just mean it's, it ceased to exist horribly because love wasn't at the core. It didn't amazing, matter how amazing the sermons were, how innovative the media was, how quick they could grow, how, whatever the, it didn't matter because love was lost at the senior leadership. And that's just a picture for me, for us. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how we do it. If we don't love, if Ryan doesn't love, if we don't love each other, it doesn't matter what markers of success we could point to, it will fail. It won't work. It won't be of Christ. We must have love. This is from uh, Gordon Fee. To have love, therefore, means to be towards others the way God in Christ has been towards us. So the only the picture of love we're about to see here, this is transitioning us number two, is the way we love others is to uh, be the way that God in Christ was towards us. For God, we sang it; He so loved the world that He gave His Son. So I put the simple Ryan's definition: love is doing the highest good for the other person. Right? That's Ryan's. I think I think my youth pastor growing up would say something very similar. Probably got it from him. Love is doing the highest good for the other person. doesn't mean doing the thing they want you to do, right? Doing the the highest, the most, the best possible thing for their need for the other person. So it has to do with giving and serving and helping, not necessarily feelings. Though sometimes it has feelings. So you must have love. Love is what God does for us in Christ. Love is doing the best for the other person. So that was our first point. The second one is the nature of love. It's going wh- what is it? What does it look like? What does it feel like? How do we know what's happening? So that's where we get this description that we often uh, read or have on a poster or have at a wedding. Remember it's sandwiched in this gifts section. Verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is patient and kind. You can see these as passive and active patience means to delay wrath right i'm going to delay wrath and active is i'm going to actually extend um, kindness i'm going to do something for you Th- those are both sides there's an, a passive and an active i'm holding back you're irritating me you're getting on my nerves you're driving too close to my bumper how many miles do i go before i give you that brake check That's, I'm holding back. I'm being patient. I'm being patient with another person. I'm being patient with someone's struggle. Patient with how they're acting in my life. I'm holding back. I'm delaying wrath. I'm just going to hold back. And then kindness is I'm active. I'm actually going to give good things into your life. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to compliment you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to gift you. I'm going to, whatever it is. You have both sides, passive and active. Love is patient and kind. It's rooted in how God treats us. Romans 2 4, Paul's talking about uh, us not falling into judgment. And it says here in 2 4, Do you or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So here we see that God is both patient and kind. He's patient. He withholds the wrath that was due for us for sin. And not only did he withhold it, he put it on the Lord Jesus. So that he can give us righteousness and forgiveness. So, God is patient. He's patient with you to come to him, and he's patient with you and doesn't strike you dead the moment we sin, which we should, but he doesn't. He's patient. He's forgiven you, and he's kind. He continues to bless you and hear your prayers and work with you. God is patient and kind. So, we saw love is patient and kind, love does not envy or boast. Brag, look at me, here I am, check me out. As you go through these, if you've been with us at all in this study or you look back, these aren't just random. A lot of these point back to things that have been brought up in this letter. Love is paid, it does not envy or boast. We started this letter with people saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, I follow, this one's better than that one. There was this, he's better, I have the answer. No, you have the answer. And he's like, dude, that's not loving, that's not loving. We're not, we're not pointing to what's better, what I like, what I want. I'm jealous of you. I want that. Look what I did here. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. Love uh, is not arrogant or rude. So again, have that pridefulness. Rude is the idea that you're just trampling over the social appropriate behaviors. We saw this a few weeks ago when they were at, he had to chastise them at communion Right? Somebody drank all the wine. Somebody had all the bread. Some people had nothing. It seemed like there was a meal that only certain people were invited to. Like, that's not loving. When you're, that's arrogant. That's rude. That's hurtful behavior. So love is not arrogant about me and I can do what I want. And it's not rude in the sense that you would hurt someone. You would act in a way that's inappropriate. Love does not insist on its own way. Ooh. I'm me and I like to do what I like to do. <laughs> Anybody with me on that? Ooh. It's my way. What, what, what do you need? What do you need? This is where the pandemic has challenged us. I don't want to do it this way. I don't want to do that. It's a ch- if I love you, what will I do to show love for you? It's been a challenge. But if, if it's only about me, well, we do a whole lot of things different. But it's not just about me. It's about you and you and you and my neighbor. If we're loving, we don't insist that it be my way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Irritable, easily provoked, easily angered, right? Depending on the level of tiredness, that's a hard one. Resentful, some of yours will say, does not keep a record. Of wrongs, love does not keep a record of wrongs, yeah, but when you do the thing, you always have you ever said that well, but last week, when i didn 't empty the dishwasher, you bit my right, you remember that this is this is amazingly this is all Jesus not keeping a record of wrong. This is the heart of the gospel right here. you see it in second corinthians five nineteen that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. He does, not only does he not keep the record of wrong, he takes care of it. See this over in Colossians 2.13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, look at this, by canceling the record of debt, That stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Not only does he not keep the record of wrongs, he takes the record of wrongs, which certainly exists, right? Here we have the record of debt, guilty, you deserve punishment. He took it to the cross. That's the gospel, that Jesus took our record of debt and he paid the full price for it. He set it aside, it doesn't come up anymore. So he tells us love does not keep a record of wrongs. Because in Jesus, our record of wrongs has already been dealt with. Hmm. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It's interesting those are put together. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. You'd think you'd say he rejoices in rightdoing or righteousness, but he says he does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And I think it's because the truth leads to right-doing. If you know the truth, then you can do what's right. Uh, This is one that we saw both sides of this in our country in the last couple years, where there's a rejoicing at wrongdoing. It doesn't matter what side you are or what you feel about things. There was a rejoicing at wrongdoing in the rioting. There was this idea, yeah, things are bad and people are mistreated, so we need to get our message out, and it's okay to loot vandalize, destroy, harm. There was this sense of, yeah, something needed to happen. I heard that sentiment, that in in the midst of this other wrong being protested against, that this other wrong was okay. That would be to rejoice at wrongdoing. Our messages are so important, it's okay to hurt people. The same thing happened in the Capitol riot. We're so mad about who was elected president, we can go destroy and attack our own buildings, right? And so some are like, yeah, that, it was so bad, that's rejoicing at wrongdoing. We've seen any side of it, right? That the, the ends justifies the means. In love, it does not, right? It does not rejoice. If we love, we don't rejoice when someone does a wrong thing, even if they have some kind of valid point, the rioting, that, that is rejoicing in wrongdoing. We rejoice with the truth. We rejoice with what's right? And there might be some good points, but in the midst of what's right, we don't celebrate a wrong method, right? And so that's a challenge. Things can be wrong, and we recognize that there's things that are wrong or broken in our culture and our systems, but we rejoice with the truth, we rejoice with what's right. So in communicating things we might be upset about, we still want to maintain righteousness because we love people, and Christ loved us, and our message won't be heard unless we're loving. So we don't rejoice in wrongdoing, we rejoice in the truth. Finally, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures. So we have bear and endure, which are synonyms, sandwiching believes and hopes. Now it's easy to be like, well, that seems naive. You can't believe everything. I, don't think, that, I think the point is that love hangs in there for a very long time. I think of this most with, with many of you who have adult, wayward children. They knew Jesus, they're not walking with Jesus today and you're bear, you love them and so you're bearing with them and you're believing they're gonna come back. You're hoping that they come back. You're enduring lots of whatever, I believe this and that crazy thing and it doesn't even make sense anymore. I'm just gonna keep loving you because I, I don't even know what you're telling me right now but I'm just gonna endure because I love you That's what I think he's getting at. It's not naivety. It's that love, I'm going to hang in there with you, believing that God's going to work, hoping that you're going to see it again. I'm going to keep loving you. It's not, I did it for a year. I loved you for a while, and it didn't come back, so I'm just done with that thing. Love just goes right to the end. That's what I think he's getting at. So, well, like I said, all this is really just Jesus. I wanted to reread it with Jesus in there, right? If we're, if we're going to love, if the nature of love is extending what God extended to us in Christ, then Jesus is all these things. So let me just read it. You've probably heard this before. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Jesus does not insist on his own way. Right, he said, I only do what the Father tells me. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's our model. That's how we've experienced. That's our, that he's the perfect of this. So, We have to have love. The necessity of it, we've got to have it. It doesn't matter. what Anything else we do is a a failure if we don't have love. We've seen what love is. It's all what Jesus is and has done for us. We've seen the nature of love. Now we're going to see this final step, the never-ending love. Love doesn't stop. You can see that in verse 8. Love never ends. Love never ends. Never ceases. Never stops. He says, as for prophecies, again, he goes right to the thing they're targeting. As for prophecies, they will pass away. The, it's not, pass away seems a little passive. It's literally, they will be stopped. They will be stopped. They will be brought to an end. It doesn't just, they sort of run out of gas. There's an end point. They're stopped. As for tongues, they will cease. Same word. They will be stopped. It's done. As for knowledge, it will pass away. I think the idea of trying to gain knowledge, because you'll already know. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. The perfect, the word means the end, or something brought to its final goal, so not the end is in time's up, but the end is it, it happened. It was fulfilled, completed, brought to its full desired end. So right now, we're impartial. We don't see it all. It's not all clear. But when the perfect, when the full end of time that God has planned comes, the partial passes away. So he's building this case how love never ends, but these other things do. That's what we're getting to. The things that they were really longing for. So he's going to give some illustrations of the difference between when the full end comes and the kingdom of God comes and we're fully in glory versus how we have it now on earth. He's comparing these things. The difference between when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. He's saying the difference in the kingdom of God is the difference between what a child thinks and what an adult thinks. Even just yesterday, I had a kid in the car and we were talking about something going to Canada. I said, yeah, but you gotta, something you gotta show you had a shot to go to Canada. And he's like, well, I'm not. I'll just tell him. You're not checking me and that's that. And you're like... Well, I guess you solve that problem, right? You just tell the border. But it was what a kid thinks, right? It was just I was just chuckling, like okay. It was just that's how a kid thinks. Well, I'll just tell them I'm not doing that. Right? When you're an adult, you have a you have a broader understanding. Like, well, and then you can wind up sitting there if there's a lot of people you don't want to upset. But the person that can let you in and out of the country, I don't recommend upsetting them. They can set you there for a long time. So. That's the difference. How a kid thinks, how an adult thinks is, is an analogy, the difference between what it will be then and how it is now. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. This is an, a unique little word play. We see mirror, mirror dimly. We Sometimes we'll think like a foggy mirror, one of those weird public bathroom mirrors that's metallic. You know, like, is this even a mirror? I think it's so somebody can't shatter it. But it's interesting words. It says, now I see in a mirror, dimly is not like foggy. The word dimly is actually where we get our word enigma, puzzles, riddles, something confusing. And so there's this, if you follow this wordplay through... In the Old Testament, or some of the language of the rabbis was if you see in a glass is another word for prophecy. To see in a glass or to see in a mirror is to be shown something that's future. So it it could be read, I see in a glass in riddles. Like now we have prophecy. Now we have things from God that don't quite make sense. And you ever read your Bible and go, help, (laughs) what's going on here? Revelation. Daniel, like some of the, some of the stuff that's been answered, you know, the coming of Jesus, like, oh, this means that before he came, it didn't make sense. So this idea this word, now we see in a mirror dimly, it's, it's almost, it's more of a prophecy word. We don't understand that we see in a glass or we get information from God in riddles, in parables. It's not all clear. And so there's this, and he says, but then we're going to see face to face. And if you trace this idea of the difference between what a prophet sees and what face to face, it takes you to this account in the book of Numbers, chapter 12, where people were questioning Moses. They're like, oh yeah? Well, who put you in charge, Moses? Moses is like, burning bush, do we need to go through this again? But but they challenge Moses' authority. Yeah, who put you in charge? So God's like, okay. So this is what God says about it. Numbers 12. And this is God speaking. He said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth. It's literally lip to lip. Clearly and not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. I think Paul's pointing to this passage, this idea I, we see in a mirror, we see in a glass, in riddles. We see what God's speaking, his prophetic word to us is confusing. And he's taking to this account with Moses where God's telling the people, I talk to other prophets and visions and dreams and its riddles, but Moses I speak to lip to lip. He beholds the form of the Lord. Come back to our 1 Corinthians passage. Now we see in a mirror dimly. Now we don't understand everything God's telling us. But then, face to face, we get that same hope of Moses. Moses went into the tent, and he got to see him. He got to talk to him. We're looking forward to that. Right now, things are confusing. They're enigmatic. They're in riddles. we're, We're puzzling. What does this mean? I don't totally know. We know it's from God. But there's a day coming when all that's gone. And you stand before the Lord in glory. It makes sense. It's not confusing. It's fully. And then he says, now we know in part, but then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. God knows you intimately, perfectly, completely. He knows your thoughts. He knows you to the very core of your being. And we get to know him that way, right? I will know how I've been known. Wow. That's an amazing picture. That's what we're looking for. He says that's the difference—the difference between then and now. Then it will be complete, clear, intimate, not confusing. Now it's we, we're limited. So that's the whole point. He's been comparing the then and the now. He wraps it up, verse four, 13. So for now, that's what—that's really how you could read it. So for now, right now, faith, hope, and love abide. Right now, we have faith. We're trusting what we don't see. Right. We're trusting this is coming. We're trusting Jesus' resurrection. We're trusting his kingdom. We have faith right now. Hope. We have a confident expectation of God's future. But it isn't here yet. That's why it's hope. And love. Right now we have the three of them. Faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love because it doesn't stop. You don't need faith in heaven. You're looking at it. There's nothing. You're not hoping anymore. You're there. Right? But you still love forever. You love God forever. You love his people forever. That's the difference, the never-ending love. The prophecies fade away. The need for faith, that fades away. The need to have other tongues fades away. We won't need any of those things, but love goes on forever. Therefore, love is greater. They were sort of longing for this earthly thing, thinking that was the money, thinking the tongues, the prophecies, like, no, 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 all that goes away. Love is what goes on forever. So desire love. Love is the most excellent way of all. We absolutely have to have it. The nature of love is Christ, and love is the thing that goes forever. So... Our spiritual gifts will bless this church when they're rooted in love. That's why it's absolutely necessary. If they're rooted in any of those other things, selfishness and personal agendas, it will not bless you or the church. So that's why it must be in love. Love demonstrates Jesus to all of us, to one another, to our community. Love shows it. We live out the eternal now when we love. Now. Seeing Paul's saying that's the thing you can do now that doesn't stop. There's a lot of other things you could do now that are going to stop. But when we love, the eternal goes now. We love now. So, love, and love is the greatest commandment. (laughs) We can't miss that. I'm running out of time. What he said, what's the greatest thing? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says, that's the number one thing. Do that, and you obey all the law. That's why love is the most excellent way of all. So, as you wrap up, you're just asking the Lord, where am I lacking in love? In my family, my church, my workplace, my heart. Some of you are going to see family this week. Is family the hardest to love sometimes? I just say, Lord, give me that patient love. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love that you loved us with such intensity you'd go to a cross, that you'd cancel the record of death that stood against us. Lord, we thank you that we can experience love now that goes on forever. Lord, it's broken and we still struggle and fall into sin and go back to our old ways. Realign us with your heart, with your love, with your truth. Let us be people of love. Let us exercise our gifts in love. Let us love our families as many will be gathered with them this week. And let us love you. Let us really love you. Lord, we thank you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and and praise the Lord and sing about his love.